This is an EWTN Newslink. I'm Teresa Tamio from Catholic Connection. French police interrogating a suspect after a Greek Orthodox priest was shot with a hunting rifle and critically hurt outside his church in Lyon. France is under high security alert after the killing of three people at a Catholic church in Nice last week. And a second arrest has been made in connection with that attack in Nice. The New York Times reporting the man arrested is suspected of being in contact with a 21-year-old assailant who was shot and arrested at the scene. Two women in the church's sacristan were stabbed to death. And he is now Blessed Michael McGivney, the parish priest who founded the Knights of Columbus, beatified Saturday at the Cathedral of St. Joseph in Hartford, Connecticut. A mass of thanksgiving offered Sunday at St. Mary's Church in New Haven, where the Knights were founded back in 1882. For more news with a Catholic perspective, visit EWTNnews.com. I'm Teresa Tamio, and the doctor is in with Dr. Igarendi. Starts now. The Doctor Is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Hello, Dr. Ray. Hi, Dr. Ray. How are you? I'm sure I'm going to get really good advice from you. Well, I don't know about that. You know, I was looking for a deeper answer. You came to the wrong place. So what do I do? Well, I don't know. I'm not going to tell you what to do. This is wonderful advice. This is what I needed to hear. You're right on track with us. You're right on track. Everybody make a mistake. Does that comfort you? No. Am I close? No. You are the best thing that has ever happened to people. Did I make you feel a lot better or what? No, you made me feel worse. Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. The best thing that ever happened to people. Which people? We talking people universally? Or she's got two people in mind. One in Nova Scotia, the other in Tierra del Fuego. Wish she would have narrowed it down a little bit. Good to have you with me. I'm Dr. Ray Garendi. The doctor is in is the program. The Monday version of the program is E-Person Monday. Had to do something. To deal with, to address, I used to say to target and tackle, but I can't do that. Just such violent language, and I'm going to get to that in a second. To address the scores of e-persons that we get. I call them e-persons. Have to. Say e-mail, that's patriarchal. Linguistically insensitive. And I've been corrected because people say, whoa, 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 it's not M-A-L-E, it's M-A-I-L. Yeah, that's true, but our culture is so prickly about offense, that it even sounds offensive. If I even define it as offensive toward me, you, you may not even know what you're saying, but if I take offense, then you, by definition, are offensive. So I'm very careful. E-person. That's the way we're going to do it. <clears throat> and we will get to some of those momentarily. There's a guy named Albert Ellis. Ellis was a... Uh, Personality therapist, well, theorist and therapist, way back, very, uh, very kind of a aggressive sort of fella, who said that this was his theory, and and many therapists, theorists have piggybacked on it since. Ellis essentially said that we distress ourselves because we think irrationally. We don't assess situations realistically, we take them personally, we misinterpret them. We do all kinds of things that greatly exaggerate their impact on us. 
he had a list of his his 12 common misthinkings. He called it stinking thinking. I think it's kind of good. One of them was catastrophizing. For example, uh, let's say that, uh, well, let's say that your 16-year-old daughter is waiting for a fella to call her because they were going to go out to get ice cream and she kind of likes this guy. And he never calls. And she tells you, that was awful. That was just awful. It was terrible. I couldn't believe it. I was. I just wanted to die. One of the points Ellis makes is that we believe our language. <laughs> All right? We're catastrophic. We catastrophic. How did he call it? Catastrophize? Eh, it's escaping me, which is just awful. I wish that wouldn't happen. If you listen to the media, the media, their language is catastrophic. For example, with COVID, here in my county, um, we had a uh, an uptick of, uh, I forget how many more cases, I forget what it was. 20 more cases. Now, this is a population of counties, 370,000. Well, how'd they describe it? Explosive. Spike. Surge. Out of control. That's the language they used. Now, typically, if you listen to the media in any, in any way dealing with any subject, disastrous, cataclysmic, unbearable, inconceivable. It's as though they stretch further and further to find language that is so earth-shattering. There's another one. Because they have to keep people agitated. Something about agitation that keeps them coming back for more, which doesn't make any sense, does it? Who would want to be agitated? But apparently they've stumbled upon the secret. And the secret is, at one level, using language that is awful. There we go. There's another one. Terrible. Vicious. How often do you hear people say, yeah, that happened and I, yeah, I didn't like it. When you hear something like that, you immediately think, wow, that person's really laid back, aren't they? Wow. Boy, stuff doesn't upset them. I didn't like it. Yeah, I was displeased about that. Yeah, that didn't, that wasn't the happiest thing that happened yesterday. Admit it. Admit it. You're not used to hearing people describe situations and circumstances like that, are you? No, they've got a stretch to find language that really conveys how awful, terrible, unmanageable, overwhelming, disgusting, viciously ugly it all was. Anything less than that sounds like they're, eh, whatever, trivializing it. Pay attention to the language as you listen, particularly so in this whole COVID thing. No wonder everybody is living in such fear. The language is so extreme. 
I'll give you a small example. Routinely, the COVID virus is called deadly. It's called deadly. Now, when you hear the word deadly, what do you think? You catch it, you die, right? Deadly. The CDC, some weeks back, came out with a statistic. And they said, if you are under, I believe it was 60, but I think you could have gone to 70 on this. And you catch the COVID virus. That's, no, that's assuming you catch it. You have to catch it. And your chances of catching it are one in many dozens. But let's say you catch it. Your survival rate, your survival rate of this deadly disease is 99.995. Now, I know there are those of you listening right now that are thinking, I can't believe this, Dr. Ray. I can't believe you're, you're trivializing it. People died. Yes, yes, they have. But the description used by the media over and over and over again is off the charts hyperbolic extreme. Even, even those above 70 with comorbid conditions, the high-risk group, the CDC says... The odds of survival are 99 point, I'm sorry, that's wrong, 94.5. So, so really, a, a 19 out of 20 chance of surviving it. Now, what I'm saying is, that's not what the language conveys, is it? No, the language is extreme. The language is designed to unsettle. It's designed to create anxiety. It's designed to keep you listening. And some would even go so far as to say it's designed to control. I'll leave that one aside for now. As a psychologist, I sit in my office and I have to help people sort through their language. It is catastrophic language. It's catastrophic thinking. For example, someone will say to me, I I don't know. I'm I'm it's possible I may have to I may have to quit my job. That would just be that'd be horrible. That'd be awful. I say horrible and awful. Well what what would what would happen if you quit your job? Oh, I've got marketable skills, I'd find another one. So is it horrible and awful or is it just something you don't want? It's kinda of inconvenient, it's unpleasant, you wouldn't choose it. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's it. But you see how easy we slip into that kind of language. Let's say that EWTN comes to me, or Ave Maria Radio comes to me, and they say, you know what, Ray, you're, you're just not doing it. All right? You're just not doing it. We've done a poll here, and you have three people left who want you on the air. And two of those are my children. Now, I wouldn't like that at all. I'd, I'd be unpleasant, and I, I'd, be, I'd be saddened. I would be saddened. It would not be the end of the world. Just because I can't spell Armageddon doesn't mean it's the end of the world. And I have to tell myself that these things that we we see around the corner as potential risks, most of them we can handle. May not like it, may not choose to have them happen, but they're not catastrophic. Because what happens when something really catastrophic happens? 
death of a child, the death of a spouse, severe illness. That's pretty serious. But what has happened is we've used up all our big words for much smaller stuff. All righty. When we come back, I have a poor grandmother who is in big trouble. Big trouble. You know why? Because her grandkids like her. Oh, I'm Dr. Ray. Solidarity HealthShare began out of the Christian tradition of neighbor helping neighbor. They're a nonprofit medical cost-sharing ministry in which their members share in each other's eligible medical expenses. Solidarity HealthShare is not insurance, but rather an alternative way to pay for medical costs that adheres to the teachings of the Catholic Church. They'll never share in a medical care that goes against their values and morals, such as abortion, contraception, and sterilization. More information available at SolidarityHealthShare.org or at 844-313-4999. Christ is the answer with Father John Ricardo. John 14. This is Jesus in the upper room with the disciples before he's going out to his sacrifice of himself for our salvation. And Philip says to the Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. Jesus looks at Philip and says, Philip, have I been with you all this time? Don't you understand? When you see me, you're looking at the Father. In fact, only two people throughout human history have given rise to the question, not who is he, but what is he? The two people are Buddha and Jesus. Buddha's answer was, don't come to me, don't look to me, look to my doctrine, look to what I teach. Jesus' answer was, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart. Jesus is explicitly claiming to be God. If you believe in the power of prayer, Ave Maria Radio invites you to look at their website to submit a prayer request at AveMariaRadio.net. Your prayer requests are shared with hundreds at the Dominican Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist, the Servants of God's Love, the Monastery of the Blessed Sacrament Cloistered Nuns, the Family of Faith Apostolate, and the staff of Ave Maria Radio. Just go to AveMariaRadio.net and click on the Community tab to submit your prayer request today. to fail and you succeed what have you done I'm Dr. Ray thanks for joining me here on the doctor is in this is e-person Monday let's get to it by the way this is kind of a way to pull on my heartstrings and to get your e-person read hi Dr. Ray I really need your help there it is hey a a a beg. My husband and I are grandparents to a four-year-old boy. His dad, my son, is very conservative. His wife and her family are very conservative. We are, too. We're practicing Catholics. They're Protestants, and we were delighted when my son came back to the church and had his children baptized. Both my son and his wife work. So we've been watching my grandson, along with my daughter-in-law's parents watching him. All right, so they split it up. 
the problem. My grandson prefers us to his other grandparents. Okay, cut back on the cookies. One cookie before he gets ice cream. My grandson prefers us to his other grandparents, and this upsets my daughter-in-law. <laughs> the kid's four years old. I don't know why he's going to decide he likes being with one grandparent more than another. It's hard to know in a little four-year-old mind. When my daughter-in-law is upset, so is my son. That's right. He's throwing his he's throwing his lot in with her. I mean, she's unhappy. He, he can't say, well, wait a minute. That's unfair to my mom and dad because he knows that could cause some trouble. So I think what you got to do here, Grandma, is be nasty. You just got to start being nasty. That's all. No cookies, no snacks, no television, no playing, no puzzles, nothing. If he asks for a drink of water, you say, later. I'm being facetious. My son now wants to know what can I do about it. Now, Grandma here asked a question that I would ask. She said, well, actually, she answered it the way I would answer it and the way I'm going to answer it. I don't know. That's right. You can't get inside a little four-year-old's head and say, what is it about us that he likes better than the other ones? I don't know. I don't know what they do. I don't know how they watch him. I don't know about personalities. People relate to personalities differently. I think, Grandma, you should flip this around and ask your son and daughter-in-law, too. What would you suggest? We're willing to do whatever you suggest. Now, personally, just between you and I, and don't tell him this, I think this is really unreasonable. Just unreasonable that a little kid has preferences and the mom can't just say, oh, yeah, you know, he gets along better with the other grandparents. That could change a year from now. But no, all of a sudden it's a crisis. Oh, talk about talk about stretched language. We love our son, his wife, our grandson and granddaughter. She is watched exclusively by my daughter-in-law's parents. I don't know what that's all about. Do you? What does that mean? I mean, it would seem to me that if we're going to be persnickety about this, you could say, well, wait a minute. We we only get to watch one. They get to watch both. Don't do that, though. That wouldn't work because if she's going to be upset because her little four-year-old kid likes being around you a little more than he likes being around the other grandparents, uh, I wouldn't expect a reasonable response for her on that from there on that one. We are not as strict with my grandson as we were with our, our kids, but we're grandparents. Signed, lost. Well, Joel, I'm going to give you good news and I'm going to give you bad news. Bad news first. I'm really not sure how to reason with somebody who seems unreasonable about this that the little guy likes this grandma and grandpa or likes going to their house better or maybe maybe it's because you got a trampoline i don't know maybe you got a bigger screen tv i don't know what it is in a little four-year-old's mind that says yeah i prefer to go there prefer to be with those grandparents they're sweet they give me chocolate peanut butter as opposed to regular peanut butter and i really like chocolate peanut butter i don't know but the reaction 
of the daughter-in-law, which is, hey, whatever you're doing, back off. Because I don't want my son liking you better than he likes my mom and dad. Oh, come on. That's the bad news. The good news is, show yourself compromising. Sit down with them and say, sure, what what do you think we could do? Is there, is there something different? You want us to talk with the other grandparents and find out how, how they watch him versus how we watch him and maybe we could just see i personally think i'm I'm suggesting this but i personally think this is just really stretching it way too far but here's the problem i don't want the daughter-in-law to eventually get to the point where she says you know what why don't we just let my parents watch both of them because i just don't like the fact that he favors you I, i i hope it doesn't get to that point and it doesn't sound like your son is trying to keep it from getting to that point. He's just gone along with the flow. So be willing to sit down and say, hey, I'm ready to do anything that would make it even across the board so that he he doesn't have any favorites. And, and please give me some suggestions. Have the, your parents meet with us. Give us some suggestions. Who knows? Maybe her parents would say, we don't care. We understand four-year-olds. We, we, it, it doesn't matter. Let me take this a step further. Let's make this a look-back e-person. Because there's a lot more I want to say about this. It is not unusual at all for one child in a family or more to prefer one parent over the other that's not unusual to be more easily able to talk with one parent than another to gravitate towards spending more time around one parent than another that is just a testimony to personalities mom and dad have different personalities the kids have different personalities You cannot expect every kid in every family to mesh equally well with both parents. That just doesn't happen. It's not a threat. I like it when my kids call to talk to their mother before me. I like that. She's their mother. I want them to feel very warm and close to her. I'm not sitting there thinking, why didn't they ask to talk to me? I'm not going to do that. All the attention that she gets from those kids, she was the one at home. She was the one who homeschooled them. Of course, they've shared a lot more of their lives while I was out and about telling people how to be better parents. My wife was at home being a better parent. So, yeah, this is just a variant of the old, I can't, I can't understand why he relates to you better than he relates to me. I would hope that daughter-in-law and son would come to the point where they realize this. All righty, hold on. Let me get rid of that for now. Go to the next one. Oh, real quick. <laughs> Our little boy Peter's 22 months old. Last few weeks, he started to show little flashes of temper. Little flashes? 22 months? He'd be showing some big flashes. Why would he be showing little flashes? Uh... Elizabeth, has he ever been 22 months before? So, in other words, this child who is really not thrown too many 
eruptions is starting to erupt. Yeah, he's getting older. And he's starting to realize you don't always do everything the way he wants. We tell him to do something he's doing, tell him no or something he wants, and nine times out of ten, he'll obey, but not without a short screaming fit, hitting or biting the nearest inanimate object. <laughs> or throwing a toy. Any of this is behavior is directed to a person, we send him straight to time out in his crib. But I was wondering, could you give me your take on how we fandle flashes of temper that aren't directed at people? Same thing. Send him to his crib. Time out. Well, Dr. Ray, but he's, he's just upset. He's just, he's just like letting his emotions run wild. Well, that's true. And if you want to ignore it, go ahead. You're perfectly willing to. We never did. You know why? Because it's easiest now to show him you don't need to erupt when something doesn't go your way. You're going to because you're 22 months old. I got that. It's going to happen. Your emotions are going to flare. You don't have the cognitive control, the maturity, the developmental sophistication to stop them. However, I want to get the rest of this after the break here. However, the fact is if you train this now, you won't have to worry about it a year or two from now. And then you start training it because he's... Well, let me put it this way. He can throw stuff harder when he's four than when he's 22 months. Be right back. What are the three parables Jesus tells about prayer in St. Luke's Gospel? The first is what the Catechism calls the importunate friend. This is the friend who wakes a pal at midnight in order to borrow three loaves of bread to feed a visitor. The second parable the Catechism labels the importunate widow, who persistently pleads for her rights from a reluctant judge till the wearied judge rules in her favor. This parable illustrates the need to pray always and with the patience of faith. Jesus closes this parable with the poignant question, When the Son of Man comes, will he find any faith on the earth? The third parable centers on the Pharisee and the tax collector, commending the tax collector for his humility because he asks God to be merciful to me, a sinner, a prayer which the church adopts as its own. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Christianity is under assault. All around us, we are witnessing the self-destruction of our culture and society. If we do not examine the conscience, we will forget that it is there. The 20th century is commentary on how that has happened. In A Crisis in Culture, How Secularism is Becoming a Religion, Father George Rutler looks at the many ways civilization has been ravaged by denying the relevance and very existence of the Creator. Our society wants everybody to finish the race on their terms. But the race is God's race, and we can only finish it on His race. We are defining our own reality. But there is hope if we turn our hearts to the Lamb of God. Discover how in A Crisis in Culture, How Secularism is Becoming a Religion by Father George Rutler. New from EWTN Publishing. Now available at EWTNRC.com or call 1-800-854-6316.
to have you with me on this E-Person Monday as I'm trying to go back into the archives and bring forward some of these questions that I have let linger for quite some time. Um, this I, I want to just close this up. I addressed part of it before the break. It's from Elizabeth. She has a 22-month-old starting to throw little fits. If he attempts to hurt anybody, they put him in his crib for timeout. Uh, but other than that, he melts down. He'll throw something, scream, hit, or bite the nearest inanimate object. And she says, eh, what do we do on these flashes of temper that aren't directed at people but are still inappropriate? Now, just the language there, Elizabeth tells me you are an educator because that's the language educators use. And she says, I was an elementary teacher for 12 years before Peter came around. And so I absolutely know what I would do if Peter was a few years older, but he's not even two yet. (laughs) Elizabeth, if you've ever trained a dog, do you allow the dog to pee on your carpet before he's old enough to start to understand why he shouldn't pee on your carpet? Or do you train him not to pee on your carpet? You do what you have to do to show him. Because you want to install the habit, right? The dog's never really going to understand cognitively why he shouldn't do it. He just has this learned response. Go outside when you feel your bladder. Your little guy is throwing a little fit. It's no big deal. It's just little fits. We used to call them fitskies. That's all they are. Just okay. And you get a lot of childhood melanoma people will say things like, well, let that go. Their emotions are bigger than they are. They just need to express them. It's typical. That's what kids do. Well, it is typical. And their emotions are bigger than they are. But that's not the point. The point is if you deal with it now, you don't have to deal with it two years from now. When it'll be harder, I guarantee it. So I would, as I said right before the break, Use the timeout that you're using when he melts down. Absolutely. Now, what will happen is that he won't stop melting down, but they'll get shorter. And they'll get less intense, and they'll get fewer and farther between. And all that might unfold over the next year. Okay. No big deal. 22 months old. Throwing fits. Go sit in your crib. Calm down. End of story. But Dr. A's not hurting anybody. Well, Elizabeth, here's a question. How do you know that won't become more common? He's biting chairs. He's throwing toys. When he gets a little older, maybe he'll realize, ah, you know what? I'm, I'm going after people. I'm going to throw this toy somewhere where it hurts something. I would stop it now. It's, it's, it's a behavior that is best dealt with earlier as opposed to the idea that, and, and again, this is what a lot of child development people say, it's normal. Well, sure, it's normal. It doesn't mean it's good. Sin is normal. Five-year-olds lie. Is that normal? So we just allow it? No, normal doesn't mean anything. It just means a lot of kids that age do it. Which means, if you want to teach them out of it, you got to make the move. All righty. Okay, let me go go back here and see where we're at there. Okay, got that one. Dr. Ray, I was watching your show today called Changing the Culture. Uh, She's referring to the TV show. I'm in my 40s. I've been struggling with emotional issues. 
and you talked with Father Larry about this, Father Larry Richards. After visiting with Father Larry, you took some questions from the audience. I hope you remember that somebody had a situation with depression, and they felt like they were going to go to hell. Among religious people who are depressed, that's not completely rare. It's hard to know which came first, the chicken or the hell egg, meaning is my worry that I'm quote-unquote not good enough, I'm not going to make the cut, which is bad theology, by the way, which is bad understanding of our Lord's love and mercy, bad understanding of his teaching. But if I create that mindset, can that lead to depression? I would think so. On the other hand, if there is a depressive state caused by many, many other things, either organic or, more likely, just the way you approach life, the way you look at things, the way you interpret things, the way you are dissatisfied with your overall existence, then it would seem to me that that unhappiness would spill over into a worry about, I'm miserable now. When it's all over, am I going to really be miserable? Now, Elizabeth says, or uh, Alyssa says, I feel like the two are separate situations. In other words, on one hand, depression. On another hand, worry about going to hell. Not so sure about that, Lisa. I think a lot of times they're connected because they both speak of a, of a despair. You know, to, to think that as you attempt with God's grace to follow his ways, however frail we are in doing that that somehow he's just going to say not good enough totally misunderstands the very essence of Christian belief it is a concoction in our own head that says I could be going to hell because I'm just not I'm just not doing it good enough I'm not doing it good enough Alyssa Nobody can do it good enough. If that were the grading curve, we'd all be in big trouble because Mother Teresa would ruin the curve for all of us. So, first thing you got to realize is that you are telling yourself something that is totally false. Totally, totally false. Our Lord promised that if you seek Him as best you can with the help of His grace then you'll be with him someday. That's his promise. That's what he said. Now, if you don't believe that, if you say, yeah, but he doesn't know how bad I really am. Well, first of all, yes, he does. <laughs> and secondly, that's kind of irrelevant because you're, you're striving toward him as many times as you fall. That may help your depression because I, I don't know about you, I'd have a hard time having a good mood if I thought when all this was done, I was headed for damnation. That would definitely affect my mood. Very much so. So, challenge that thought that if you're not good enough, 
you're going to hell, which is a heresy, which is which is not anything the church has ever taught. It's your it's your thought, and see what happens to your overall mood. Maybe you've been hearing a lot about the need to make a spiritual communion while participating from home in a live-streamed or broadcast Mass. Maybe you've even prayed the prayer of spiritual communion. Spiritual communion is a concept that goes all the way back to the 4th century. It flourished in the Eastern Church and gradually moved West. Spiritual communion stresses the transcendence of God, where we unite our desires, intentions, and loves with the holy sacrifice of the Mass and the consecration of the Eucharist at the altar. Jesus, I embrace you and unite myself wholly to you. Father Benedict Groeschel. I want to welcome you, if you're not familiar, with the wonderful world of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. What will America become if it makes it impossible for the Holy Spirit to work here because of untruth and self-indulgence and paganism? This is not just a nice discussion of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, because I'm going to discuss what happens when people make it impossible to be prudent, just, or honest, or brave, or courageous, or reverent? When people make that impossible, what a terrible thing they do not only to themselves, but to our society. EWTN. Live Truth. Live Catholic. Call to Communion. Three AWTN Radio, we talk to audiences all over the world. One thing I've found out is everybody in the whole world has the same set of questions. They live the same human life. They all want meaning. They all want love. They all want significance. They want forgiveness. That's the most fascinating thing to me. The same answers work wherever you are throughout the world because we're all children of God. Called to Communion with Dr. David Anders. This afternoon, 2 Eastern on EWTN Radio. say good to have you here with me, but actually, I'm more delighted than I'm with you. I'm Dr. Ray Garendi. The program The Doctor is in Monday through Friday, 1 o'clock Eastern Time, co-production, EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network, some 400 plus stations, as well as Sirius Satellite Channel 130, and all the many, 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 many other ways you can listen. And... The co-production part is Ave Maria Radio Communications there in Ann Arbor. Andrew Kruchek is my producer man right now as he is taking care of the music and the breaks and all the other stuff that goes into making the program technically smooth and not content smooth. That's my job. Uh, he, he doesn't mess with that, but he can technically make it smoother. All right. Let's see where we're at here. I am the youngest... My siblings, respectively, are 16, 15, 12 years older than I am. I turned 44. 
My mother was in her 40s when I was born, and her birthday was the next day. So, with all going on in our family, I wanted a family reunion. Because none of us know how long we got on this earth with health problems. And all I want is to meet both sides of my family that are distant family. Never got to meet them. Except for cousins who live in Alabama. Uh, I would like to meet all of them before much else goes wrong in this world. I don't want to have to wait till I'm too old or too sick and have to introduce myself to them in heaven. Okay, this is what my birth mom wanted too. So apparently this writer is adopted. Every time I approach the issue, everyone acts. Now, I'm going to take that word everyone literally, which means there isn't anybody interested in doing this. Everyone acts like they do not have time or that making money isn't more important to them. Do they act it, or is that pretty much the way it is? What can I do to make them see how important this is? Oh, I can answer that. It's real easy. Nothing. Wait a minute, Dr. Ray, you want me to give up? Well, in a way, yes. Because you're distressing yourself over the fact they're not interested. Be nice if they were. And I don't know the backdrop to all your family dynamics. And whether you've had a close relationship with them or you haven't because they're well older than you, I, d I don't know. And they all probably have their own personal reasons for not wanting to do it. Some of them it's just logistically not workable. Others are, nah, I'm not close to some of those people. Why would I? So what I would say to you, Heather, is okay. Maybe you could connect with one or two of them that you'd like to meet on an individual basis. But the reunion thing sounds like it's not going to happen. So there comes a time for all of our peace that you have to know when to give something up. Give up the idea. It's a great idea. Be nice. But take it from a guy who has coached softball for 40 years. Orchestrating the preferences and the wants and the schedules of 12 and 13 and 14 ball players to get to a particular game on time no less has been one of the greatest challenges of my life what you're trying to do is infinitely harder than that you're pulling people out of their daily routine and saying, let's meet somewhere. Let's get together. Let's do this. My sister has been very good at trying to have extended family reunions, cousins, distant aunts and uncles. And the first time we did it, we got a pretty good response. We had to rent out a picnic shelter and there was a fair amount of people there. A few, three years later, everybody, everybody loved it. It's great. Let's do it again. Oh, we got to do this. So, two, three years later, arrangements were made. Attendance was significantly less. And a lot of the folks on the periphery didn't show up. Happened again. 
And it boiled down to the folks who routinely see each other on a fairly consistent basis. So you're right. In our culture, connections by some folks are just not as valued. It's the way it is. I would say, Heather, you just look for whom you can connect with on an individual or maybe small group basis and jettison the idea of orchestrating everybody because it sounds like you've tried it sounds like you've made the effort and it sounds like the cooperation has been minimal if at all i'm dr ray what kind of a god do you have don't say my god it's your god too don't give them to us we have enough troubles with our own god but there's only one god don't touch that dial dr ray will be back do you own popular index mutual funds or etfs if so, you're automatically owned shares of companies that conflict with your moral beliefs. Ave Maria Mutual Funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors can invest in the no-load Ave Maria Mutual Funds. The experienced professional portfolio managers make decisions based on investment fundamentals and pro-life values. You can learn more about Ave Maria Mutual Funds today at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. I'm Dr. Stan Williams, and this is Evidences for Christianity. Where do you get information about God? How can you be sure what you read or what you are told by authorities is true? For if the things we are told about Christianity are true, tremendous demands are put upon our lives, and to say we believe them requires that we live them. Elton Trueblood said, we should be foolish not to use all the intelligence we can muster in order to try to know whether Christianity is true. To fail to give our minds loyally to this inquiry would not be so much irreverent as stupid. It's important, therefore, that we get and understand the facts, evidences, and reasons for Christianity. Our life here and for eternity depends on such efforts. To explore more, go to AveMariaRadio.net. Under Resources, look for me, Dr. Stan Williams. Hi there, I'm Dr. Greg Popchak. And I'm Lisa Popchak. Research shows that when families openly live and share their faith together, they're more able to respond positively to the challenges they face every day. So if you're looking for help in creating that joyful place where each member of your family experiences life as a gift from God, then you will want to check out our book, Discovering God Together, The Catholic Guide for Raising Faithful Kids. You can find this book on the store page at AveMariaRadio.net. Got time to scroll through couple more e-persons. I sure liked it when there was a stack there because the stack as it grew made me feel like, wow, there's just a lot of folks I can talk to. Now it's just the phone stays the same size all the time. Yeah, well, they didn't put it that way, Andrew. They, they didn't ask for wisdom. They just said help. Big difference. This is from uh, K. That's her first initial, so that's what I'll go with. Dr. Ray, you spoke recently about a dream you had where you saw your deceased father in his nana's kitchen. Nana is Italian for aunt. In the dream, 
you knew your father was deceased and you asked if you could hug him I did I, I said I remember said pop what are you doing here he came walking in big grin on his face looked like he was not not aged as he died uh, a younger version of pop a little more a little more sturdy in his gait when I hugged my father he woke up I woke up she says I just want to let you know that I had almost the same dream about my own deceased father about five years after his death the setting was in our family home at the doorway to my parents I also asked my father if I could hug him and he said yes the hug was electrifying and I awakened with a start my father died suddenly on his 78th birthday with a large number of family members present my dad died on his 76th with my wife and ten children around his bed praying the rosary in the dream now this is her talking again my dad appeared to be about 35 years old <laughs> wonder if that's roughly the age where we get our glorified body huh and he was in a radiantly white dress shirt she says I was fascinated to hear such a similar story yeah I wonder if you know God sends messages like that to us coincidence is his way of hiding I don't know I don't know what what he might be saying if anything <clears throat> But thank you, Kay Susan, for that very much. Alrighty, let's go to let's see. Take care of that. And then I want to go to this one. Uh, Jerry. I'm a regular listener and I had to share this with you. My wife and I were driving the other day, saw a license plate ahead of us that read self-love s-e-l-f-l-u-v talk about a vanity plate huh I immediately said I've got to send a picture of this to dr. Ray I couldn't figure out how to attach the picture well Jerry get get a seven-year-old to do it for you but I wanted to share it license plate is not necessarily black bad but in this day and age when having the virtue of humility is not a priority for most people, I thought you'd be amused by a license that reads self-love. Well, Father Larry Richards has a license plate that says you are good. And he's making a theological statement. You're made in the image of God. God saw that it was very good and you are very good in your essence. I mean, you act good all the time, but in your essence, you're good. Uh, it doesn't shock me, Jerry, that a license plate like self-love would be there. But I'll tell you what I've noticed as a shrink. The people who are more emphatic about how wonderful they are, that they are special, their self-image should always be at its apex. Their self-image is the moral virtue they most seek. Ironically, I have found that in and among those people, 
is a lot of misery. A lot. A lot of self-doubt. A lot of insecurity. A lot of questioning about worth, actually. You wouldn't think so. I mean, come on. They're, they're claiming this very solid self-esteem banner. One of the fascinating findings in self-esteem research is that when we attempt to establish self-esteem independent of anything else, you have great self-esteem because you exist, because you breathe, because you're just a wonderful, unique person. The danger is self-absorption, self-centeredness. Self-esteem is a good thing if it's anchored. The best self-esteem is anchored to the idea that we're infinitely valuable in God's eyes. That's, that's self-esteem that doesn't, doesn't budge. It doesn't budge on the basis of our failures. It doesn't budge on the basis of our moods. It doesn't budge on the basis of our sins that we commit. It's there. It's rocked in place. Now, if you're not a believer, where does your self-esteem come from? Well, it begins with unconditional love of the people around you. And even for believers, many parents will say, how do I, how do I get my kid to, to have a, a more confident self-image? Well, you can't force that. It's a byproduct. It's a byproduct of him knowing over, over years that how much you love him. How much that will never change, no matter what he does. You will always be his mom, his dad, who deeply cares for him unconditionally. That's, that's it. That kind of security breeds self-love but again the self-love comes as an ingredient after the fact that he knows he's loved by others that's huge when a kid is secure in his position in the family his position with his parents he then becomes more self-assured. Not in an ugly way, not in a, I'm, a, I'm special and you people better recognize it. Not, not like that. But a quiet security, a quiet confidence. But again, the point is, it's a byproduct. Self-esteem often comes from achievement. It comes from striving. It comes from reaching to be your virtuous best. And you can be pleased with trying to be your virtuous best. That, that's not a lack of humility to be pleased with being obedient. That's, that's not bad. But again, it always flows from something else. The danger is making it an independent thing that you strive for. Not related to others' love for you, not related to your seeking morality, not related to your achievements, not related to the skills that God's given you. None of that is not related to anything. You just are automatically fabulous and wonderful. Why? Because you declare it. <laughs> Who am I to declare that Ray Garendi is wonderful? I would much, much rather rest upon the reality that God says I'm worthwhile. He doesn't change. 
my self-image based upon me is fragile. Thank you for joining me here on The Doctor Is In. I appreciate it so much. As always, walk with God. That's a good way to have a self-image. That'll give you the best self-image you could ever have. For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook. The Doctor Is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Next time you replace your car, think about donating the old one to Guadalupe Radio. Your gift may qualify as a tax deduction, and it helps support Catholic Radio right there where you live. Get more information about our vehicle donation program by calling 1-888-636-6422 or go to our website, grnonline.com, and click on the vehicle donation link. Solidarity HealthShare is rebuilding Catholic health care in America. We conform to the moral guidelines of the Catholic Church so that you never have to worry about your health care dollars paying for anything that violates your conscience. From conception to natural death, we strive to serve all health care needs, protect human life, celebrate families, and promote the dignity of all people. Join Solidarity HealthShare in restoring and rebuilding authentic Catholic health care by signing up at SolidarityHealthShare.org, a sponsor of the Guadalupe Radio Network. Join the Guadalupe Radio Network in praying for the upcoming elections and for the United States. We will be praying a Rosary Novena through November 3rd. After the Divine Mercy Chaplet, we will be airing the Rosary for America featuring Julie Carrot, host of We Sing Our Faith. So join us in praying for our country and for the upcoming election through November 3rd. Catholic all the time. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Thanks for listening to KJMA 89.7 Floresville, San Antonio. On the Guadalupe Radio Network in South Texas. Catholic Radio for your soul. Catholic Radio for your soul. And also streaming on grnonline.com and on your smartphone. Upon someone God has called to life. If we don't stand for the principles of God, you will be next. The culture of death is hard, unbending. It is without love, without compassion, without hope. It's the blackest pit. I cannot vote for that. For a guide to Catholic teaching and voting, visit EWTN.com slash vote. Have you heard about Church Pop? Church Pop features new online Christian content that's fun and inspiring every day. Find it on Snapchat, Instagram, and on the web at churchpop.com.